you're listening to the Pastor Chat Podcast, a ministry of the First Baptist Church of Dadeville. Welcome. This is episode four of the Pastor's Chat Podcast from First Baptist Church, Dadeville. I'm your host, Forrest Jones. I'm Zach Brown, youth pastor. And I'm Ben Hayes, senior pastor. All right, this week we're going to be talking about how do I live in forgiveness? So starting us off, Brother Ben, will you just give us a rundown of what you covered yesterday? Well, Forrest, thanks for asking. Um, one of the reasons I titled it this way, and it may be a little bit misleading, but here's the problem. Um, so often what happens is we will go through the process of forgiving as we talked about last week and the week before, and uh, we can truly come to that point where we are forgiven by by the Father. We can forgive others. We can even forgive ourselves. And next thing you know, those old thoughts creep back in and we find ourselves feeling that old anger, that animosity, the bitterness begins to to pick back up in, in our hearts. And and we fall into the same old patterns. And what I wanted to, to do yesterday was to share what I think is, is a biblical way from the story of Joseph to deal with those kinds of feelings. And, and you truly do have to deal with it at the very root of the, the issue. And when you come down, when you dig everything else away from the, the issue of, of bitterness and, and holding a grudge, anger even, uh, any of those negative kind of emotions, what you find is your understanding of who God is and, and what God does. And, and I truly believe that in the case of Joseph, one of the things that helped him, even though he was terribly mistreated by his brothers, sold into slavery, ultimately ended up in prison, and uh, then became the second in command in Egypt, is that he recognized that God is the ultimate judge. Uh, if you remember, we, we talked about verse 19 in Genesis chapter 50, and and uh, Joseph asked his brothers, he says, am I in the place of God? And he was asking that in as as one of those questions that that really get down to the, the root of the issue, because he, he's saying, I'm not. I'm not God. It's not my place to judge you. And he says, I'm not going to do that. And when we understand the fact that, that God is the ultimate judge, and quite frankly, uh, he's the one that's going to take care of all of those situations, and we're willing to place our trust in, in that, that, that whole concept. Then all of a sudden, living in forgiveness is a whole lot easier. Uh, the problem that, that we have is that when we don't forgive, we find ourselves acting out in, in what I call destructive habits of a bitter soul, and we're all guilty of this. You, you see it in the story of, of Joseph and his brothers that day that they sold him into slavery. It, it started out, they were, were talking about him. They were speaking hatefully about their brother and talking about all the things that he had done in the past and, and how he was just a, a pain to begin with. And then that didn't stop there. They, they continued on by acting selfishly because what they wanted to do was to take care of their problem. They wanted to get rid of the, the thorn in their flesh. And so they were willing to do just about anything um, in fact, uh, they they talked about killing him. They talked about selling him into slavery. And then they ultimately did sell him into slavery and then pretend that he had been killed by a wild animal. See, they didn't care even about their father's feelings when they knew that, that Joseph was 
the favorite. And so I talked about the fact that that we have to come to that point where we we turn it all over to God and and God will be the one who will determine the judgment. Now, that's hard for us to do because typically what we don't want is for God to let someone go. And and here's the 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 thing about that. If someone that we're holding this anger towards, we have this bitterness in our heart for, if they get right with God, uh, all of a sudden the consequences for them are gone for their sinful behavior. And we're like, well, wait, I'm not sure I want to do that. But that's where forgiveness comes in. It frees us to release others from the, the judgment that would come to them. And then it takes us even farther because as in, in Joseph's case, he uh, he began to comfort his brothers and to speak kindly to them. That's a kind of love that you cannot fake. You cannot put that on. Uh, and, and it only comes from a heart that has been forgiven and is willing to, to offer forgiveness after it has been repaired by God, who I, I call the ultimate heart mender. He's the one that, that heals our hearts, enables us to forgive this way and to continue to love from, from the point of forgiveness on. And I'm not trying to say that this is a one-time event in, in our lives because truthfully, I think we've all been there where we, we think we've dealt with the issue. And then all of a sudden, one day we see a picture of the person that we've been holding this anger in uh, towards. And, and all of a sudden, all of those old feelings come back. And, and we just have to, to, to remember that in the midst of that, that God is that ultimate judge, and he'll take care of it for us. Yeah, when you were talking about verse 19, um, I love that, this whole story, and especially that moment, because um, you see the brothers, and Joseph has been treating them well. He's received them in, and they're now in Egypt and living the good life, and suddenly their father dies. And they're like, and this is, rational thinking if you really think about it they're they're saying dad's dead he's been holding it together for dad now that he's gone man we're in trouble and so they come to him just ready to get you know uh, for him to unleash all of his vengeance on them and his comment is you know what you meant for evil god meant for good and and just to see that yeah this would have been his he had plenty of opportunity he had plenty of power he's the second most powerful man in egypt he could have either kicked him out of the country or worse. And instead, he's saying, nope, I've given this to the Lord, and you did the wrong thing, but I'm not going to let that divide us anymore. You know, I, I'm welcoming you and, and loving them despite that. I just love to see that moment and just the honesty there. Sometimes we can paint these pictures as just this rosy, like, oh, there's, and then it was happily ever after. But instead, we see this moment where they're saying, things have been good so far, but we think it's a trap. and uh you know, seeing how God really redeemed that situation. I know you talked yesterday about bitterness is a force of destruction and bondage that destroys lives and damages relationships. Um, I know I, I can think of an example that I, I saw the other day where the, the shoemakers Adidas and Puma, which I did not know, apparently these companies were actually started by brothers. And so they started a shoe company in their mom's kitchen in, I think, the 1930s or so, um, Jesse Owens was one of the first Olympic athletes to ever wear an Adidas shoe. But, so that was their shoes. They got them to wear it. War broke out. And somewhere in the middle of the war, there's a disagreement between their wives. 
And the the story goes that one of the one of them made some comment while the other one was climbing in the bomb shelter in the middle of the war. And at that moment, their relationship was messed up. And so they go throughout the war and begin to hate each other so much that as soon as the war's over, they split the company in half. One of them forms Adidas. The other one forms Puma. And in that little town they lived in, you have these two competing shoe companies. And they ended up calling the town the town of the people with the bent neck. Because if they met you, they looked at your shoes first to determine if they could be friends with you. That was how big of a divide it was. And they did not have any contact until there was like a friendly soccer game in the 1990s after the brothers were both dead. Finally, the town could come together and say like, we can, maybe we can be friends through this. These are just shoes, you know. Uh, and to just see that, I mean, you look at that and so often you hear these stories of it's the slightest little thing. It's not, I was taken and thrown in a well and sold into slavery. That's usually not the case. And yet we just let this little division split us apart for so long. Yeah. Well, sadly, it it happens in, in every relationship that you can think of. Um, one of the things that I, I did not mention yesterday, but is is true, is, is the fact that uh, husbands and wives often find themselves in this very situation because of something so small, like you're talking about, that really is insignificant, but because they don't deal with it right away, it grows into a larger issue. Yeah, and that's something that that I'm not necessarily proud to admit, but I, I fall into that a lot. I'm I'm terrible about like taking something that is again, like you said, like an insignificant little comment and just kind of putting it back and then just pulling it out every now and then and just like marinating on it and and all of a sudden so and so said this becomes this huge blown out of proportion thing that um, that it, without me actively seeing it in the moment um, is negative on myself, on people around me, that, um, that, that starts to hurt my, my friendships and my relationships and, and things like, like Brother Ben talked about yesterday. Um, like, I don't know, it, it, it kind of made me think about, um, so before all of this happened, our last small group with the youth before we, we quit having them, all of this being COVID nineteen, yeah, yeah, all that's, of this. That's the southern way. To, that's the southern way to refer to a pandemic. Yeah, before all of the latest unpleasantness <laughs> occurred. Well, before all of that happened, we had our last small group, and, and me and some of the the youth guys went out to to a park here in town, and we were just you know eating pizza, throwing a football around, and me trying to you know not admit that I'm getting older and I don't work out as much as I used to, was trying to throw passes as high, long, and far as I could and, you know, trying to trying to show off for a bunch of middle and high schoolers because, you know, what else do you do? Um, and by the end of the day, my right arm, I had completely thrown it out. Um, and all week, it was that, that, that prideful moment of, no, I, I, I didn't do that. I'm only 26. I didn't throw my arm out, you know, throwing a football. Like, I, I didn't do that. I'm fine. Um, and what should have been, okay, I iced my arm, took a few days, ended up becoming like two weeks that I, that I had trouble putting weight on my arm because I was too stubborn to admit that something was wrong. And, and it, and it made me think about times in my life when that's happened with like offenses and things like this, times that, 
that that something was said or done that that while it wasn't good, it could have been dealt with right away and there wouldn't have been that lasting hurt. And instead, I, by my own choice, decided to file it away and just let it sit there building and getting worse instead of getting better um, when, when I could have just dealt with it right away. And so that, that kind of kind of got me thinking about about this same topic, the same idea. Well, Zach, Forrest, are you guys old enough to remember wooden seesaws? Uh, I know the concept. I don't know that I've actually yeah, <laughs> yeah. ever experienced. I, I grew up in an era when, when wooden seesaws were all the rage, and the, the bigger the seesaw, the better. Because what you wanted to do was to find someone who would trust you enough to seesaw and you would get them up at the very top, and then you would jump off and let them come crashing down. Uh, that was that was the that was the game. And I'll never forget one day, uh, my cousin and I were doing this, and uh, I was the one who was up high, and he jumps off. Well, I come crashing down, and this was an old wooden seesaw, and I ended up with a, a splinter in in parts of my body that we can't talk about on uh, this podcast. That was at least, it felt like at least a foot long. Now, I'm sure it was probably a matter of, of centimeters, millimeters, inches. I don't know what it was. But anyway, it was very painful, right? But uh, when I told my mom about it, she grabs the needle. Because back then, you, you know, that's what you did. You grabbed the needle, you put it in alcohol, and you dug it out. Um, and I was terrified because I knew what it felt like to dig out a splinter, okay? Now, here's the thing. I could have left the splinter in and just dealt with the pain of the splinter, or I could deal with a little bit of pain that it would take to get the splinter out and then have relief from that point farther on. And that's the case with these kinds of issues. If if we let them sit and, and fester without talking about them, and this is exactly what Paul was talking about in Ephesians 4, to not let the sun go down on our wrath. And he's talking about uh, taking care of those issues immediately. Uh, if we'll just do that, it will save us tons of hurt and heartache in just about every relationship that we experience. And I, All three of us here are married at different years of experience. And I know, Brother Ben, you've counseled people for almost 40 years now. And I'm guessing that y'all's experiences are very similar to mine and that this marriage is a great representation of this because you just, if you think about the things y'all probably had disagreements about, now Zach, I know you've only been married for like two and a half weeks, so y'all haven't had a disagreement yet, <laughs> but the, the rest of us mere mortals have, have, have it a few, a couple times. Um, and yeah, it's never huge things. It's all these little things that you build up and then tell finally something or yes, yeah, the straw that breaks the camel's back, which is something so bizarre because it's really on top of all these other little things that we haven't talked about, we haven't addressed, uh, and we've let that destructive um, forces kind of build up in us. And um, you you brought up a good point yesterday um, talking about a foothold um, and kind of letting the enemy get a foothold. Um, I know Zach and I were talking about kind of some historical references that, that seemed similar to that. Um, it made me think a lot about the Normandy landing and, um, I, I think most of us here love history and I especially love military history, but the Normandy landing is one of those things that we look at now as, okay, they landed. It was kind of a guaranteed thing. There's a whole lot of people showed up there. 
Um, but I was learning about some events that kind of went on. Um, and one of the things they did prior to the landing, as they said, they ran the numbers and they said, if all the Germans that are available in this region come to the beach at this moment, and we put every man we can get on the beach in the first day, like how many is that? And they ran the numbers and they said, this is how many we'll have on the beach. This is how many they'll have to oppose us. And they said, there is no way that we can hold them off. If every German that's available comes, they're going to push us back into the sea and there's nothing we can do to stop it. And so they had to come up with a plan to divert the Germans' attention. And they used guerrilla fighters and, and the French resistance and all these things. They went into it. Um, but it just made me think about the idea that similarly, that if we're attacked, you know, the longer we stall and we don't do anything, then the easier it is for the enemy you know, to, to gain that foothold and to spread out and, and make that uh, invasion in our life. You know, it's normal that we're going to be attacked and that, you know, he might find a little chink in our armor and hit us there. Um, but the most dangerous thing we can do is just be like, well, we're just going to set that aside and not talk about it. We're going to hide that. We're going to, you know, pretend it's not there. And all that's doing is letting him get more forces, you know, that thinking of those, uh, the allied troops. Every hour, there were more boats landing more people. And it was just a matter of math in that situation. In the same way, if we're not careful, we'll pretend something's not there. It's not an issue. And before we know it, the situation's changed completely. And, and that kind of got me looking at, um, so a while back went through like a C.S. Lewis kick where I wanted to read everything he put out and um, really kind of fell in love with the screw tape letters which if you're not familiar is essentially a kind of a, a fictional telling of like a representation of if two demons were to be mentoring each other on how to torment people and lead them away from Christ, what kind of advice would they be giving each other? What, what kind of advice would a more seasoned, you know, demon be giving his, you know, younger nephew. And, and in chapter three, I think it is, um, we have this quote in, in reference to a man and the relationship with his mother. And it says this, it says, when two humans have lived together for many years, it usually happens that each has tones of voice and expressions of face, which are almost unendurably irritating to each other. Work on that. Bring fully into the consciousness of your patient that particular lift of his mother's eyebrows, which he has learned to dislike in the nursery and let him think about how much he dislikes it. Let him assume that she knows how annoying it is and does not, or and does it just to annoy. If you know your job, he won't notice the immense improbability of that assumption. And of course, never let him suspect that he has tones and looks which similarly annoy her. And and looking at that, I'm looking back to, to my life growing up and you know, thinking to all those little things and, and all those arguments that used to happen with like me and my mom growing up. And and so many of them were exactly almost word for word that, you know, I knew when, when she did this particular thing or said something in this particular way, it just really started to get under my skin. And I started to rationalize. She knows that it gets under my skin and she's doing it on purpose. And even, I mean, yeah, we haven't been married for that long, almost six months, you know, woo, <laughs> but, um, but we have been together for seven years. And so, um, so there have even been a lot of times throughout our relationship that Hannah and I have had those those arguments and those fights. Like, you know, this drives me crazy and you're doing it anyway. You know, just coming at it with that that attacking nature. 
because I have rationalized in my in my head like like she knows how I feel about this when in actuality it's just something that that she does that has no ulterior ulterior motive but because I have sat there dwelling on it that's you know getting that foothold in of all of a sudden something that was 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 small has now all of a sudden started to 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 crack like a like a crack in the foundation it just continues to to spread until all of a sudden you know if you're like me and you tend to hold things in and like i've already said until all of a sudden six months later well you know what you did this and this and this and this and this which she doesn't even remember most of because it wasn't an intentional offense well, Zach, um, I do uh, marriage counseling, so if you and Hannah want to, <laughs> um, but, but on a more serious note, let me let me say this: um, when I do premarital counseling, I always go over the rules for a fair fight, because too often young couples aren't taught that hey, it's okay to have a disagreement. And so when that first disagreement comes, they want to go home to mom or whatever because they, they think their their marriage is over. So I, t- I teach them, all right, you're going to disagree. It, it may be the first week. It may be the first month. It may be the first year. But you're going to disagree. You're going to have an argument. And when you do, there's a way to do it that will bring healing to the relationship and not bring damage. And, and you you brought up the most significant point that I always talk about because Nine times out of 10, when someone comes to me for marriage counseling, it is at the point where there's almost no hope unless God intervenes and does something uh, miraculous in their lives. There is no healing of that relationship because they put it off and put it off to that point. When When you start talking about it, what you find is it started with something that was so insignificant that they did not deal with. And so the next time something came up and the next time and the next time until all of a sudden everything just built up until it explodes and somebody acts out in a way that they should not act out and the relationship is is damaged, sometimes permanently scarred to the point where uh, there's not a thing in the world that any counselor could do to fix it. Yeah, we've talked many times, Karen and I will say that one thing we've realized about marriage is that it always gives you someone else to blame. And, and you don't realize it at first, but anything that goes wrong in your marriage, your first reaction is to think oh, it's their fault. And you know, you kind of play things back in your mind. You're like, and like you said, it's not things that they're intentionally doing, mm-hmm. but it doesn't matter. Your kind of default is to think, well, if she had just done whatever, then this wouldn't have happened. Mm-hmm. And it has nothing to do with them. And it's not connected <laughs> at all. Uh, and kind of verbalizing that has helped us to say, you know what, that's just, that's the sinful part of us that wants to blame somebody for everything. And that's not okay, you know, and, and working through that, um, you're talking about fighting fair. I think that's such good advice because when you know someone that intimately, you know how to use those knives and you can cut deep so fast. And, um, you know, I, I will say that by the grace of God, Karen and I, have fought pretty well all these years. And I think we're, we're really blessed in that. Uh, so, you know, we, we, over the years, while we've had our disagreements, um, we've basically made the the decision that, yeah, we know those zingers. We know what we could say in that moment that's going to hit the button and you're just going to have to choose not to say it. And you're just going to hold it in that part, not 
these little, you know, offenses. You can air your offenses with each other, but that the nuclear bomb comment that you know you could drop at that right moment. Um, and that's where we turn these little things into big things. Um, not, I don't have much experience talking to people before they get married, but working in police work, turns out there's a lot of guys whose marriages could use some help. And so did a whole lot of police car to police car marriage counseling that I never expected to do. But one of my, my biggest piece of advice is don't worry about winning. And so often we get that. I want to win or we start counting up the wins and losses of like, well, I've let her win the last three disagreements. And I drove, it's my turn. I get to eat. And all that's going to do is just continue the disagreement and continue the arguments. And in, in a marriage, truly the only way to win a fight is to lose it. Now think about that, because if you win the fight, what you have basically done is driven that person down to submission. And when you do that, you've won nothing. You've lost everything. So just as, as Jesus taught us, if we want to save our lives, we have to lay them down. The same is true in our, our, our relationships. If we want to heal the relationship, we have to forego our rights. We have to forego our, our, our desire to win and be willing to, to just say, I'm sorry. Yeah, and I think that's the thing. You know, throughout these last three weeks of discussing forgiveness, kind of that underlying point, I think, is forgiven people forgive. You know, that we, we can forgive because we have been forgiven. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's where you look at it and say, marriage especially, you know, God has a plan for marriage that doesn't look like every other marriage on earth. Um, and there's a reason it's such a special relationship. Because of that, it's the relationship that's under attack probably the most. Um, and so, you know, we should be living our marriage to the glory of God. Everything we do, we should be doing that. But especially our marriages, we should be thinking about, well, how, how does this line up with what God's teaching us? How does this line up with what he's commanded us to do? And yeah, that idea that it's not about you winning. It's not about you getting your way. Um, you know, so often you look at these relationship books or relationship advice and it's, well, let's see how we can split everything equally 50-50 and, you know, we'll make a chart and then we'll divide up. And, you know, what's going to happen is it's never going to be 50-50. And we all could probably pull more weight in some areas and other areas that we're, we're doing more than, you know, our 50%. And that's because life is not a spreadsheet that we can divide up easily. Um, and I think that's one of the biggest lies that we have is that we can, we can make this all equal and fair and everything is going to be, this is a business arrangement. Well, what problem is when business arrangements fall apart, you end up with Adidas and Puma, yep. you know, and that's not an option in marriage. You don't come away and just, oh, well, we, it was no big deal. We just split the company. No, because the company is your family. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that's the thing we got to look at it and say, well, when we're coming into this. It's not about dividing it up 50-50. It's about how we can work together to glorify God, to uplift one another. Um, and at the end of the day, there's going to be times that we have to say, you know what? I, I'm going to uh, just decide right now that what's going to glorify God is for me to say, um, I'm sorry that I did that thing that, that hurt your feelings and I did not mean to do that. Um, and I'm sorry it made you feel that way. Um, you know, but there, that's not always easy, you know.
why is it we have such a desire to win in, in relationships? Um, well, in, in just every aspect of life, but why is it in a relationship do we not have the desire to win the battle of doing more for the other person? You know what I'm talking about? Um, like you're talking about trying to divide everything up 50, 50. Why shouldn't we say, Hey, I'm not going to settle for that. I want to do more for my wife, more for my children, more for my, my siblings, more for my parents than they've ever done for me. And the answer of course is it's, it's human nature because Human nature says it's it's all about me, and and I've the only way I win is if I get more. But I think that we get more by giving more. And going a little bit back, if we look at the scripture that you talked about yesterday with the story of of Joseph, um, with me it, it it's really easy for me to look at stories of people like Joseph and think like, oh well, he was able to do this because I mean, come on, he's Joseph. You know, but I'm 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 not him. I'm not I'm not the kind of person he is. But you know, I couldn't imagine myself in his in his situation. But oftentimes, what I have to to bring myself back to and, and reminding myself is is it's not necessarily that like Joseph is some better person than than I am. But but really looking at my heart and 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 addressing where was Joseph's heart at the time during this story, and where is my heart right now. Um, and, and it goes to something that, that you mentioned yesterday, Brother Ben, um, that, that kind of got me thinking words are really an outpouring of our hearts, right? We, we, we say things like that. And, and as we're, as we're starting to, to speak hatefully, it really reveals to us all of that, that grittiness in our hearts. And, and oftentimes with, with, with like, I know myself and my own relationships, it's so much easier for me to fall into that camp of the bitterness and the 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 hurt and all these things when I am not personally taking time myself to pour into my walk with Christ. Like I can always tell when I have not been spending time in the word, I have not been spending time with in prayer and things like that. I can always tell when I'm kind of falling away because it's almost like like the further away I get, the shorter my fuse gets and the shorter my threshold gets. Um, not like a, you know, I'm gonna gonna blow up on somebody, but like there's more that I can there, there's more that I can take and, and be able to to work through when I'm spending more time with with Christ, spending more time in the word, um, doing what I'm supposed to do. Um, and so I wonder like, you know, looking at, at the difference in our hearts, because if if what's in our hearts really is what's coming out of, of our mouth, then, then we really addressing the issue. I always have to kind of remind myself to look at me, not to look at what the other person's doing and what the other person's been doing to me, but looking at what's going on in my life and why am I responding how I'm responding? Am I spending time working on me, working on my heart and working on my relationship with Christ? Or am I lashing out at this person because of my own guilt, because I'm not where I need to be in my relationship with Christ? You know, one of the things that I remember growing up is um, I always had the lovely job of of uh, feeding the hogs and watering the hogs. And and we did not have um, a water system going down to where the, the hogs were, so I would have to carry buckets of water. And I remember when I would be walking down there and I'd have two five-gallon buckets of water that, that I'd be carrying. Didn't mind too much when I stumbled and that sloshed out and got all over my pants, you know. 
or my legs if I were wearing shorts. But uh, when I was carrying those buckets full of slop and I stumbled and that slop got on me, boy, that, that was pretty nasty stuff, you know? Here's, here's the point I want to make. What is inside of us, what fills us, is what comes out when we're sloshed, when we're, when we're jolted, when, when, when we stumble. Uh, and, and if we are filled with bitterness and anger and, and, and all of those negative emotions, the first time we get pricked, the first time we get hit, the first time somebody says something that sets us off, that's what's coming out. But if we're filled with the Spirit of God and the Word of God and the grace that He's poured out on us, the forgiveness He's poured out on us, then that's what comes out in response. All right. Well, this has been a great discussion about forgiveness. I know that um, I just love these conversations every week. They're they're both uplifting and convicting, and you know the the idea that. When I think just in the last 24 hours about things I've gotten mad about and think, oh, well, that's, that's probably a reflection of that I need to spend more time in the Word and those kind of things. So, uh, again, I hope, listener, that you're um, being challenged by these conversations, that you're being um, uplifted by them. I, we are as well. And, and again, we're going to continue doing this while we have the chance to sit down and just talk through um, how do we apply the sermon every Sunday? It's not just a matter of coming and listening, but how do we take that and apply it to our own lives? your life? How, how, how do we put our theology into practice? Because um, that's what really matters. Well, Forrest, before we go, I, I do want to, to share one thing that, that is very near and dear to my heart that I've really just discovered. And um, that is that, that my heritage that, that I treasure so dearly, I just discovered that yesterday was the Norwegian Independence Day. <laughs> now, had I known that before today, I would have taken the day off because my 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 DNA shows that I have a large percentage of Norwegian within me. And so I just want to celebrate, and to all of you fellow Vikings out there, um, <laughs> have a great Independence Day. Yeah, have some dried fish on me. You know? There you go. Uh, yeah, it turns out yesterday was... Norwegian Independence Day, <laughs> according to Zach. He said there's an expert opinion that that was what happened yesterday. Thank you, Addy. Uh, did y'all celebrate that in any particular way at the Brown House? Uh, we did not, actually. No, unfortunately, I don't really think that the, the Norwegian brethren would, would agree with my Irish ancestry too much. But I was just that, sitting so. here of the three of us, the one who looks more like a Viking. <laughs> that is true. Yeah. yeah. If we could get him a hat with horns, that would be great. Yeah. If I'd, I'll wear it. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it first people uh on the 31st when we get to see your faces again maybe a viking hat for uh for zach i'm just throwing that idea out there <laughs> all right uh next week we'll be back and next week we're going to be looking at one more uh passage dealing with forgiveness but we're going to look at it in a little bit different uh framework because what we're going to be talking about is is this question is forgiveness forever? And I'm just going to leave it there. Wow. Mysterious. Okay. Well, you heard it first, people. Come back next week and we'll talk about is forgiveness forever? And I hope you have a great week and we'll see you then. <laughs>